Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. And uh, we're going to begin a new series today in, in uh, our discipleship project. And we're going to be talking about making sense of suffering and uh, for... Uh, the next four Sundays, uh, we'll be breaking this down a little bit, and and uh, today I want to talk to you about the freedom to choose, the freedom to choose. I think it's a tremendous gift that God gives us to have our free will, but I've often said it's probably one of the greatest, yet one of the most dangerous gifts that God has ever relegated to the hands of man. We have a right and the freedom to choose. And so today, in summary, we're going to be talking about how that sometimes our our own wrong choices, our ill-timed choices, perhaps missing the will of God, getting ahead of the will of God, I think we can even be behind the will of God. And sometimes those choices bring certain afflictions or persecutions upon our lives. But we want to talk about how that God can take those circumstances. If we will yield ourselves to His will, God can take poor decisions and He can work them for for our good. He absolutely can. I believe that there's living proof of that here today. I know of at least one person in this room that is living proof that sometimes our poor decisions, God can take them and turn them around and mold them and shape them and He can make them for our good. I'll let you spend the rest of this lesson trying to figure out who that one person is. I heard they wore a blue suit. I'll give you that hint. Hebrews 11.25 The Bible says, Choosing rather to suffer the affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. We're talking about choices today. God gives us the ability to make our own choices, but those choices can sometimes lead to suffering. Moses was um, what some have deemed a reluctant freedom fighter. After killing a man, he found himself on the run. It took him about 40 days to escape the sight of his of this act, and during this time, he about 40 days to escape that, and during this time, he married changed his occupation. Soon his wife gave him a son, and and after about 40 years of safety, and you'd think four decades, you know, kind of all the feathers have settled down by now. But then he saw something that shocked him back to the reality of who he really was. Even though he was concealed in a remote and isolated desert, he heard someone call his name, not once, but twice. Moses. Moses. As a shepherd, no doubt Moses had had seen bushes burn before, but this was different because this bush burned, but it was not consumed. 
So he said, I'm going to turn aside and I'll see this great sight, why the bush is burning and not consumed. See, many after their conversion or after a, a spiritual experience of this magnitude, it was um, not a casual conversation, but the Lord said, Moses, take your shoes off, you stand on holy ground. This was a moment in time, a conversation with God that left him with a guarantee of success. And for most of us, we think those encounters would leave us to be happy to do exactly what God has told us to do. The Lord spoke to him out of this burning bush with very detailed instructions. But this was not the case with Moses. Moses pointed out that he was slow of speech in Exodus 4. He asked God to send someone else. Finally, after questioning his own personal qualifications, now this is God who handpicks him, and now Moses is giving him this laundry list of why he can't do it. He says, nobody's going to believe me, and, and no one in Israel would listen to me, insisting that he could not speak well enough or present well enough to do what it was that God was calling him to do. And then finally, Moses asked for the Lord to send someone else. By this point in, in Exodus 4 and 14, God's a little prickly with Moses. Amen, as he is with us oftentimes. In hindsight, it would be easy to be critical of Moses and think, man, how could you walk away from such an experience and, and question God? Why would you give God this laundry list? But then if we consider the fact that God was really asking him to suffer, and so when we think about it in that regard, there's not many of us that would readily accept an invitation where we knew we were going to suffer. The mission of Moses was well defined. He was to bring the Israelites up out of the affliction of Egypt. That's what the scripture says. And so you're going to have to go get them out of the affliction of Egypt. But in order to do this, it required him going down into the affliction himself. And so here it is. I mean, if, you, if you've ever had to clean up a baby that it would, would have something all over them, like grease or something like that, before you know it, it's all over you as well. And so here's the deal with Moses, that, that go, go redeem them, and I'm going to be with you. But they are in a land of affliction, and so he realizes that in order to do that, I'm going to have the soil of affliction in my sandals as well. It's clear in Scripture that he did just that because our text said that he chose to suffer the affliction of the people of God. So we know that he did ultimately. And so when it comes down to choices, Moses chose the reproach of Christ rather than the, the treasures of Egypt. And so we applaud him for that. It was a wise choice, even if God nearly killed him on his way to do what he'd asked him to do. We may have a call, and I do believe that Every one of us have a call and a ministry of something that we can specifically do for the kingdom of God and to be maybe a little more specific about that. I believe that we all have a call of something that we can do for our local church. We may be the recipient of some revelation. I believe that more than one person, more than a handful of people here, that God has laid something on your heart, revealed something to you about your life in Him. And perhaps what you are doing today, or maybe will do, or, or maybe some even have miraculous gifts that, op, that the Lord uses to operate in your life. 
but none of those things, no matter how gifted, no matter how talented, no matter how much revelation that the Lord may give us, none of those things exempt us from the necessity of obedience. And so whatever gift we have, whatever uh, strength we have, God is going to call on us to use that tool and we're going to have to understand at that moment I've got to be obedient to the hand of God and the will of God. And so as Moses entered Egypt, he was able to do some amazing miracles, miracles that would finally and ultimately defeat Pharaoh's magicians. He came out of Egypt followed by thousands of slaves. And if you know the scripture, they came out, shall we say, with a high hand. They were dressed well. They had gold and silver. They had everything that they needed. They were enjoying their victory. And if we could just stop the camera right there. If we could just freeze the frame. Right here, this grand exodus out of Egypt. They are clothed better than they have been clothed in centuries. They are, uh, I mean, they look the part. They look victorious. And so if we freeze the frame right here, it just seems like nothing could possibly go wrong. In the life of Moses. How could Moses have known at that point that he himself would never enter into the land that flowed with milk and honey? It's too much that think, it's, I don't think it's too much to think that Moses may have said to himself after this great victory, because he was a man just like we are, Amen. It's, it's not too much to think or outside the, the realm of reason that Moses would think, you know, if I've gotten them out of Egypt, then it's going to be smooth sailing from here to the promised land. What could possibly go wrong? I learned something a long time ago. I'll pass it along to you. When, when things are kind of falling apart in your life, don't ask what next. <laughs> yeah. I think there's multiple people here with that revelation. Do, do not say what, what next because it may introduce itself to you in just mere moments, if not seconds. What next? When we read Exodus chapters 2, 3, and 4, it seems clear that it was hard for Moses to yield to, to what God had really called him to do, and that was suffer. God, you see, being God, He doesn't show us a lot of things in advance. He just gives us a snapshot of our future sometimes, leaves out a lot of things in the middle. Every detail of suffering that he would experience through this journey, God left that out. Not, not being, uh, not to take that out of, out of context, but God is sovereign. And if we're going to follow him, we have to follow him for the promise. And we have to follow him for the purpose. And God will fill in all of the details. I don't want to, uh, I don't want to stray too much today, but we just have to be careful when we, when we walk into the presence of God with our legal pad and we're demanding for God to fill out every line and answer every question, if God gives us direction, we need to understand He'll take care. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these other things. Amen. Now, that, that sometimes things are not trivial. They're serious matters. But He says those things will be added to you. And so there's many reasons that God may choose to withhold details from us and and uh, and sometimes I think if we had known ahead of time <laughs> just how long the journey was going to be, if we had known ahead of time just how dusty this path would be, then we may not have been so glib to sign up. And so God withholds some of those details. And, and uh, your situation may be different of that of Moses, but sometimes we're called to make painful choices when there is no clear promise that everything's going to be okay in the end. 
But we just have to walk by faith and not by sight and trust that God is going to see us through. There are multiple Bible stories that make this point. When we read scripture, it seems like one of its purposes is to remind us regularly that obedience to God may result in some suffering without any promise of relief in sight. Now, I'm not here to paint your world gray, if you, so you just need to stay for the whole lesson because we're going somewhere today. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in scripture did not know whether or not God would deliver them from the fiery furnace. They didn't. They had no way of knowing. They knew he could. But they had no way of knowing that he would. And so their attitude was if he delivers us, yes. If he doesn't, that's okay. But we will not bow. They refused to bow. They, they, didn't, they didn't even pretend to know what God was really going to do in this moment of time. Their situation of course, turned out better than they could have ever expected, but that's not always how it happens. And I'm going to be very, very frank with you today and call no names, but there are some people here in this very auditorium that understand the phrase, that's not always how it happens. I feel the Holy Ghost is wanting to really drill something deep into our heart here today. And so we're not here to just turn over a little topsoil in your life and help you feel better about yourself, and we're all going to walk away. I feel the Holy Ghost led me in prayer this morning that He wants to do a deep work in our heart. And so don't drift, if you will, this morning. Don't drift because it doesn't always turn out that way. It doesn't always. However, there are instances in Scripture when we consider Rahab the harlot whenever they were taking the promised land, going into the city of Jericho, the Bible says that after days of marching and now shouting and rejoicing that the walls of Jericho fell and every living person and every living thing in the city was destroyed. Am I right in, in Scripture there? It's an interesting thing that it was pointed out when we were introduced to Rahab and she became somewhat the savior of that moment to those spies and they said, if you will tie this red cord or ribbon in your window, then you're going to be saved and, uh, and all, of, all of your house is going to be saved. Am I right about that? All you and you, all your house. And, and, but then the scripture does say this, that she lived in the wall. <laughs> and, and it was the very wall that was destroyed. Amen. I find that amazing that her house was built in the wall but yet somehow in the midst of all the rubble, God kept his hand upon them because it was a promise of the Lord. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 at verses 30 and 31, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they would compass about seven days. By faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she received the spies with peace. There were other unlikely heroes. We find them in all through Scripture, but we find them categorized for us in Hebrews 11, 11 Gideon, Barak, Samson, and even Jephthah. We see these great men and women of God. They all made choices that involved some level of suffering, even though they had all experienced dimensions of victory in their life. And so 
Don't we find that crowd present here today? I think if we said how many have ever experienced victory, every hand would go up. I think we could say how many have experienced suffering, every hand would go up because there's been a mixture of that in our walk with God. Amen. Then there are those who in Scripture store stir more noble thoughts in us, even though they were flawed. Even though they had some uh-ohs in their life, and they certainly did, men like David and Samuel and, and some of the other prophets, and there are many, many stories here and accounts of kingdoms that were subdued and promises that were obtained, and, and in the book of Daniel we find lions with lockjaw and, and fire quenched, and we we find it recorded in Hebrews that they escaped the sword and weakness was turned to strength and courage was gained and enemies were vanquished and the dead was raised again. All of these wonderful stories that we find in Hebrews 11. Let's read a little bit about that. In verse 32, And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah and David also, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of the fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in, in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens, women received their dead, raised to life again, and others, and others. It doesn't always turn out that way. Because you can't read through Hebrews 11 and then just exit off the interstate before you get to verse 35. And others tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. In the midst of this list of victory, some did not experience this kind of deliverance. They were tortured, they were mocked, scourged, chained, stoned. Some were slain by the sword, destitute, they were afflicted. Some were tormented, some were wandering, and some were homeless. And, and some could say, where is God in this? I don't want to be too personal today, but I can tell you that, that many, many of us have asked, whether we ask out loud or not, we've asked in our heart, where is God in the midst of this? We cling to Romans 8 and 28 and we hold on to it as that, as that trusted, famous walking stick that helps us through many circumstances of life. And we know that God has it all in His hands. There are some things that we know, that we know, that we know, that we know. Sometimes it is so hard to make sense of suffering. So difficult to figure out how... Can anything good come from this? But I have to trust God because He's never failed. Yes, I have unanswered questions. A lot of sentences in my life just end with dot, dot, dot. A lot of situations in my life are not closed in with brackets of surety that have brought everything to a clean and concise closure. And now we have clear understanding and a trophy on our mantle to say, I went through this and this is what I received. Some things are just still bouncing around the galaxies and I may or may not ever understand why. Amen. And this is where faith comes in. Moses and, and others made their choice by faith. And faith does not depend on what we can see with our eyes. 
Faith does not depend on what I can put my hand on, what I have boasting rights about. The Bible says in Hebrews 11 and 1 that faith is the substance of things hoped for, evidence of things not seen, things that I can't put my hand on. Hebrews 11 and 24, we're going to read down through verse 27. By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasure pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of reward. By faith he forsook, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. <laughs> Amen. Faith does not wait for uh, confirmation results. Amen. Faith doesn't wait for that. Job's decision to trust God, even if he killed him, illustrates this point so well. And I know we love to quote that, but oh my, wouldn't it be something if we were the one called on to quote it. Though he slay me. He's not talking about the guy down the road. Though he slay me. Yet will I trust him. Amen. Yet will I trust him, but I will maintain mine own ways before him. I, I'm going to set my path. And the, and the scripture is, 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 fills in the blanks in the life of Job that he never charged God foolishly and that he never sinned with his lips. He never cursed God. Somehow, amen, he came out with this mentality that I am going to put my trust and my confidence in the Lord. Amen. Going back to the man at the center of our story, Moses. It is undeniable that Moses killed a man. He probably had good intentions and we would question that, but his heart was in the right place. His, his motives were pure. I know that's a little <laughs> conflicting to, to tie those to pure intentions to murder. But you see, Moses was a grown man and he knew right from wrong. And he knew injustice when he saw it. There was no way that it was right for an Egyptian to be beating up one of his Hebrew relatives. So when he looked around and, and saw that no one was watching, Moses took matters into his own hands. He murdered the man and then he buried him in the sand. He thought... This will surely make me a, he a hero among the Hebrews. This will, they'll see who I am. I mean, they know me, but they only know me in relation to Pharaoh's house. They only know me in, in relation to wealth, and they only know me in relation to that silver spoon that's hanging out of my mouth, but I can probably prove who I am through this one act. I don't know if anybody was happy. You'd think at least the guy whose life was spared was happy. But the next day, Moses goes out, sees another couple of men. These just happened to be two Hebrew men that were, that were fighting together. And he's trying to break up the fight and make everything right. He's trying to be that noonday hero one more time. And here's the response he gets from the two men that he's trying to help. Are you going to kill me? Like you killed the Egyptians? Whoa. Whoa. It's not 
covered in the sand any longer. It's no longer hidden. The secret's out. Fear strikes his heart. Moses has one hope, and that is I've got to get out of Egypt, and I've got to get out right now. <laughs> and so it's easy for us sometimes to confuse good intentions and to think I'm going to do something here and this is going to really set me ahead and, 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 and I'm going to somehow I'm going to do something wrong but it's all going to come out right in the end and, and we can kind of package this in good intentions and Moses meant well and we understand that but what Moses failed to understand was that God had a better way to deliver the Hebrews from slavery and it didn't have anything to do with, with you taking matters into your own hand. If you'll just be patient, Moses, I'll work this all out, but you're getting ahead of the system. Rather than seeking God's will, Moses just took matters into his own hands and right now would be a good place to have an altar call because we've all found ourselves right right here at this intersection. When when things just didn't seem to make sense, we just kind of step up to the forefront and say, I know what we ought to do. And we put our hands to the plow of purpose and we think this is what should be done. And, and we're not very far down that road when we realize, oh, I should have left this alone. I should have left this untouched. We've all been there. We've all been there. Yet, despite our bad decisions, God is still able to do something in our lives if we surrender to Him. And so, here's the crux of, of the message today. Amen. Despite bad decisions, if we will surrender our will to God now, God can still pick us up even from the mess and give us a clear and concise future. Yes, He can. Amen. I want to shift our focus just a little bit uh, this morning, if we can, for just a moment, we emphasize a lot of times in Scripture, and rightly so, the deity of Christ, because He is God. Jesus Christ is God manifested in the flesh. But we also must remember that many of the Scriptures, the same Scriptures that declare His deity, also affirm His humanity. So He was all God. But he was all man. He was not living in a protected shell of flesh different than you and I. Amen. He, every emotion, everything, amen, he was everything that you and I are today. And so because of that, the temptations of Christ were just as critical as the temptations of you and I. The Bible says in Hebrews 4 and 15, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. He was all God, all man. He was tempted just like we are. This means his temptations, that his temptations have now become learning opportunities for you and I. Hebrews chapter uh, 2 and verse number 18, the Bible says, For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to secure or support them that are tempted. God is able to support those that are tempted. Why? Because he suffered temptation. He gets it. He, un he understands. I've been there. I know what this feels like and because I know what this feels like I'm going to hold you up I'm going to I'm going to hold you secure amen in Matthew 4 Jesus was tempted by Satan now the biblical account of this event shows us that even Satan can quote scripture when it suits his purpose <laughs> oh yes Matthew 4 and 6 in part the Bible says for it is written 
He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against the stone. Now this was just a portion of the first thing that God has said to Satan in this conflict, early on, in the, in the earlier portion of the book of Genesis, we read in Genesis chapter 3 and verses number 14 and 15, So the Lord God said to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head, and you, you shall bruise his heel. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise... and and. And you shall bruise his heel. Excuse me. In, in Matthew 4 and 6, Satan starts quoting from Psalms 91. Stay with me now. He is quoting from Psalms 91. And he is quoting directly from Psalms 91 verses 11 and 12. But you got to watch. It's been a while since I've heard him call Slewfoot. But you got to watch old Slewfoot. Because he knows where to start and he certainly knows where to stop. <laughs> and so he waxes eloquent Psalms 91, 11 and 12. He waxes all eloquent. But conveniently he stopped quoting before he got to verse 13. Because in verse number 13 it says, And you shall tread upon the lion and the adder and the young lion and the serpent. <laughs> he shall trample under foot. He just kind of conveniently left out his demise. Amen. He just kind of quoted just enough to throw it out there on the table. Still happens today. Amen. The serpent you shall trample under foot. Now, to be absolutely sure, the devil knew who Jesus was, and he also knew Psalms 91 well enough to know that this was not just a, 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 a uh, this was not just some random scripture, but this was a this was a messianic promise, a prophecy that was coming forth, and the devil knew that. He knew that. Amen. In fact, Jesus did not deny the content of that at all. He did not deny that. Amen. He knew the promise was not about whenever Satan and came to him to tempt him in Matthew whenever Satan came to, to tempt him amen the Lord knew and understood that this moment right here is not about me having the ability to jump from some high pinnacle Amen. Now, uh, he, know, he knew that that's not what this promise was about. Follow me for a moment. Jesus didn't think, well, now since I have this promise that if I jump off this building that the angels are going to come bear me up he didn't jump off the building. He didn't come down from the pinnacle, so to speak. Amen. Instead, he quoted a biblical warning against making presumptions against and about the Word of God. In Matthew 4 and 7, Jesus just came back with this. He said, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And so I would say to you today that we must not tempt or test God to see if He will really do what He has promised He will do. Amen. I want to say that again. We should never test God. We are the student. The student doesn't test the teacher. So we should never test God or tempt God to just say, well, your word says that if I were to do such and such, then I'm just going to go do such and such. Now, I'm not just trying to paint with a broad brush today, but I'm going to tell you that God will do what He said, but He will do it in His own way, and God will do it in His own time. And so if I just get 
full of myself and think, well, all I got to do is just climb up on this 10-story building and jump off because the Word said if I even dash my foot against a stone, that the angels would be there to bear me up. But who says that's God's will? And who says that's God's time? Are you, are you following me today that, that we can't just go do whatever we want to do and think God is our errand boy that's just going to come clean up behind us? He's not, he doesn't work for the damage control department. And just come cleaning up after us when we just test and try him. And so if we do presume on, on God's promises as Abraham did with Hagar, God can still use us, but our presumptuous behavior, I promise you, will introduce some painful things into our life. Amen. God did take this situation and try to work around it, but I'm going to tell you, and you well know, that we're still paying the price for that one decision today. Amen. But, but that doesn't mean God is going to just put us on the shelf and that it's all over and we're all done. God can take the worst of circumstances and he can work them for our good. And this is the hope that we should find in this today. I think it is best to let God do the opening of the doors and the closing of the doors. You don't ever want to kick a door open. Nor do you want to prematurely close a door spiritually and say, I'm done. We need to let God do the opening and the closing. And when God has it His way, it will work. Now, I'm going to come in for a landing here and I want to take us to the New Testament. And I want to talk about two men that started out as the best of friends. Their decision to work together proved in Scripture and in history to be very successful. Everything they touched just seemed to work. They were a great team. At first, it seemed like that this close bond would would never be separated. Nothing could possibly implode what God was doing in the lives of in the ministries of these men. And then, as sometimes it does, trouble hit. They had a disagreement and each man went his own way. We asked, could things ever be the same again? And here they are. Started out so great, now things in such turmoil. You see, Barnabas had been Paul's closest friend. However, at one point in their relationship between these two spiritual leaders, their relationship dissolved. The contention between them was so sharp that one went his way and the other went the other way and Barnabas took John Mark and retraced the steps that he and Paul had taken on their successful missions trip. And Paul, he found another co-worker by the name of Silas and they started off in the opposite direction. And we'll just, you just do your thing and I'll just do my thing. Now we may have to, to read in between the lines a little bit, I don't think too awfully much, to see how Paul suffered because of his falling out here. But it seems that he must have had some regret over the incident. I think one of the things that would have caused regret 
would have been the fact that when you read about the churches that Paul and Barnabas planted, here's what the scripture says about them, that those churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. (laughs) So these guys were not just willy-nilly doing things. So when, when, when Paul reflected upon his work with his friend in the past, he had only good memories. There was some very solid things to keep his hands on. That had to be a silver line into the cloud that hung over Paul's head as he remembered the decision he made to part ways with his friends. So maybe, I'm just going to be a little bit hypothetical here, maybe Paul regretted the decision and thought if we could just get back on track somehow. But maybe in Paul's mind and with the help of the enemy working against him, he thought, man, you blew it. (laughs) It's just way too late. You're never going to get back to the glory days. I feel the Lord is speaking to somebody here today. You're never ever going to be back, able to get back like it was. It's over, Paul. So just embrace that. Accept your new normal. And keep walking. Paul could have never anticipated, Elder Gibson, he could have never anticipated the voice that would speak to him in Acts 16. Come to Macedonia. (laughs) Out of the clear blue, God was not finished with Paul. Paul would reconcile to John Mark and Mark went on to write one of the four Gospels. and, And so... You see, we, we do regret some decisions. We do suffer from some decisions. But if we are not careful, we will just decide that we're going to spend the rest of our life looking in the rearview mirror of how good things used to be and not realize that the God of yesterday is still the God of today and tomorrow. And that if we'll listen out for his voice, God just may do some mending. And, and things that we thought were completely over and ministries that we thought now have just hit the rocks and they're just too shattered to ever be put back together again. God has them in his hands. Amen. And so I want you to think with me, if you will, in these closing remarks about what happened in the life and the ministry of Paul after he reconciled himself to, to Mark. There was a Lydia and her entire household that was saved. There was a slave girl that was delivered from an evil spirit. There was a midnight worship services in an inner prison. And Brother Gibson, as we've talked about recently, there was a Philippian jailer. (laughs) And his entire family. When did this happen? All of that happened after he went through some suffering for some choices that he made. Moses, without a doubt, one of the greatest men of all time and and certainly one of the greatest men of Scripture, made some horrible mistakes. Yes, he did. But God yet used him. David was used. Samson was used. In his folly, blinded 
And he killed more in the end of his life than he did in his life. You see, we make choices sometimes that bring suffering in our life. And and we can't get around that. Let's stand, shall we? We can't get around that. We can't just say, well, that didn't happen. We make decisions that sometimes bring suffering in our life and and it would be the devil's pleasure to move in right there at that longitude and that latitude and say, well, it's over. You ought to just put that Bible on eBay. (laughs) Just just hang those hopes and dreams and list them on Craigslist because you're not going to be needing them anymore. Or we can realize that God can take suffering situations. I mean, I believe that with all my heart, Paul had the opportunity to either hear or ignore, hear or ignore the voice of the Macedonian call. He could have talked himself out of it. He could have said, "Oh man, I've made too many mistakes." He could have started the Moses deal. I can't talk plain. I can't, you know, blah blah. But he could have started the whole the Moses litany. Or he could just stand up and say, let's do this. Let's do this. And I believe the Spirit of God is saying today, let's stand up and let's do this. Amen. Let's, let's just get up and dust the, the, get the dirt off of our garment and the dust off of our face. And let's just do this. Amen. I feel the Holy Ghost would speak to our heart here today. Lord... I love you with all my heart and I thank you for the privilege to speak your word. I'm asking you today to let the power of the Holy Ghost strengthen us now. Lord, I've done all I know to do. I've shared your word. I haven't talked about me. I haven't talked about us. I've just talked about you and your word. And I'm asking you to do that work now in the name of Jesus. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.